0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I am Tracy Jan, race and economics reporter at The Washington Post. Today, we continue our Race in America series with Amanda Wynn, founder and CEO of the nonprofit civil rights organization, RISE. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I want to start with the horrific shooting exactly one year ago in Atlanta, which many have described as an inflection point for our community. How do you see what happened and where are we today?
1: Well, today, Tracy, is a difficult moment for our community. And what I can describe is feeling like my soul is being torn in half. On one side, you know, we see the incredible Asian excellence that's out there. You know, our sisters winning Olympic medals, um, our stories finally breaking through in Hollywood with turning red, then you switch the channel and we hear about our sisters being pushed in front of trains, being slaughtered in their own homes. And it feels like a nightmare. Uh, What I will say is that there are so many incredible AAPI organizers um, who are here organizing and not willing to stay silent. We are not your model minority, and we will have our voices heard.
0: Right. Um, In New York, women have been killed simply living their everyday lives, whether it's waiting for a subway or returning home after a night out. And this hits personally for me, too, Amanda, as someone who's just recently started taking the subway again regularly or the metro, as we say in D.C., um, as we've all returned to our offices at The Washington Post. And I am never standing close to the edge of the subway um, of the tracks. And, you know, for Asian American women especially, this has been um, we have to watch our every move. How has it impacted you personally? Do you have any self-defense or do you carry protection with you when you travel around your everyday life? Because you travel so much all over the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, these acts of violence that have been targeted towards the Asian American community, especially women, have existed pre-COVID. The pandemic absolutely exacerbated these issues, especially when we had leaders um, saying things like the China virus um, or China flu. Uh, but these, uh, this reality has existed before. And you know, I, as you know, Tracy, am a uh, survivor of sexual violence. And the statistic here, just to give things a bit of context, is staggering: 78 percent. Of the hate um, uh, that has been reported by Stop API Hate uh, has been directed towards Asian women. Um, 60% of AAPI women are survivors of sexual violence and domestic violence, according to AAPI Women Lead. These are these are really high numbers, um, and they speak to a reality that all of us have had to be vigilant. Um, the intersection of race and gender here is one that we cannot overlook. And today as we are gathering to remember the, the grief of the Atlanta Spa Massacre, we also remember what was reported about it. We remember that the police officer said, oh, the murderer just had a bad day. And all of these things um, bring us to this moment where we're saying no more.
0: In a now viral video, you've urged mainstream media outlets like CNN and MSNBC to pay more attention to our stories. You said we're literally dying to be heard. Do you feel like we're finally being heard?
1: I think this is the first step. You know, the, Last year, I made a call, I looked straight into this camera, and I asked people to report on our pain. and when i see that our stories are being covered i think that is a real sign you know the first step to healing is acknowledging that there is a problem right and so this was happening already whether or not these crimes are being caught on camera whether or not they are being reported they're happening and the fact that it is now a part of news stories in cnn on msnbc we're having this conversation right now it is indicative that a dialogue is
0: emerging. What type of policy changes would you like to see to further protect our communities?
1: Yeah, so policy of course is one part of (laughs) a fabric um, of things that need to change. But I will say that we live in a democracy and many people have said, community members, have said that a carceral approach is not the one that they want to take right? So we've seen uh, different types of legislation come up. Um, You know, something that I'm working on with my team at RISE is the API Visibility Pledge, which pushes for legislation um, to pass that mandates uh, API education in schools. We've seen that in Illinois, we've seen that in New Jersey. Um, In California, there are two um, pieces of legislation that focus on public safety health, on mental health. Um, And these public health perspectives um, and education focused perspectives, I think are the way forward.
0: Great. I wanna bring it back to us a little more personally again. Um, You know, you're the daughter of Vietnamese refugees. I am the daughter of Taiwanese immigrants. And we've all seen these horrific videos of our elders being struck down in broad daylight as they're walking down the sidewalk in in the city. Um, Personally, my parents, are in Taiwan right now, and I told them not to return to California. They're safer in in Taipei. How has how has what's happened the last two years impacted your family?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, every time that I hang up the phone, you know, my auntie says, "Please be careful out there." Um, today, as we are gathering in Times Square to honor the lives of these women who have been lost and our communities grieving. Um, I've had so many of my friends say, you know, we love you and and be safe. Um, I mean, this gathering isn't only about solidarity. It is the site where Michelle Goh was murdered. And as we are walking our everyday lives, it has this whiplash dissonant effect where we're trying to, you know, live a life and also at the same time, grapple with the tragedies and the circumstances that we're living in.
0: Absolutely. Um, You mentioned earlier the importance of education and while anti-Asian violence has dramatically increased since COVID, you and I, and we all know that this has begun since we first began immigrating to this country. And yet I never learned about our history in public schools and private schools, and I know many people don't either. It's not a required part of most curriculums until now. Um, Why is education so important for not just us, but all Americans know about our history, Asian American history? Yeah.
1: I think the opposite of love isn't hate, it's apathy. And you have apathy when you don't relate to people, when you don't see the humanity in them, um empathy is created through having our stories told through learning through education right so whether that be through you know mainstream media news um whether that be through hollywood stories whether that be through education our public school systems or or schooling systems um there are so many incredible aapis that have contributed to, to this country and those Excellent stories need to be told and also our tragedies need to be told You know, it's very similar to Hollywood stories where you have like a main character and they have amnesia and You have to like figure out who this person is in order for them to accomplish whatever purpose they have in the movie, right? Well, imagine if we as a people have amnesia That's almost what it feels like we have to keep reinventing the wheel every single time Let me give you an example, right? There's a lot of solidarity between communities of color, especially between the Asian and black community. And yet a lot of what's missing in the narrative is how we've been able to work before together in the past. So we have to keep relearning these things um, when, in fact, you know, if we had the education, we probably would have been able to look to examples and models of how to work together.
0: You're absolutely right. Asian, Black, and Latino communities worked tightly together in the 80s in order to get ethnic studies in many of our colleges. And right now with such a backlash against critical race theory um, in many parts of this country, I was wondering if your organization has encountered any resistance to even simply telling our stories.
1: I think the biggest resistance that we get is Demunitizing our work, right? Which is uh, something, unfortunately, that um, exists in nearly every type of activism. You know, people say, oh, this is not the right time for it. There are always other things, but there's never a more convenient season for change. And what we're seeing right now is that people are not willing to stay silent um, and people are speaking up about these very harmful stereotypes, um, whether it be, oh, well, the Asian community, especially Asian women, are demure, they, um, you know, they, they won't give you a hard time, or uh, the model minority myth, or yellow fever, or the um, perpetual foreigner stereotype. All of these things have been critically harmful to the community, has directly resulted in our bodies and our lives being hurt and people being killed. Uh, and yeah, we're saying learn about them and do better.
0: How has the model minority myth played into our invisibility and into your work as an activist?
1: Yeah well uh, for starters the model minority myth refers to the idea that um, Asian Americans uh, are uh, somehow able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and um, is this myth that makes us, in a sense, play off of white adjacency, right. Uh, And it's a myth because it's very harmful. First of all, in that imagination of the Asian American community, Asian American is uh, one type, um, when in fact APIs are diverse. Um, We have a huge diaspora, and there are so many people that make up what AAPI means. Um, On top of that, um, it's this idea that if you just put your head down and keep working and, you know, don't speak up against uh, white supremacy, that uh, you will one day be handed the keys to the kingdom. Now, unfortunately, um, it is a myth for a reason, and uh, what we're seeing is that If you play by these rules, you are essentially taking out a loan from White Supremacy Bank and you will have to pay it back with interest. Um, You know, our liberation is bound together and that means that we must be intersectional in our work, race and gender, and also have solidarity with other communities of color.
0: Right. I mean, the myth was created to pit us directly against Black communities by the White Supremacy um, ethos. And in reality, the Asian American community is the most economically divided of all racial groups in terms of income inequality. And that truth often gets lost by lumping us all as just successful Asian Americans. Um, Moving on to culture a little bit, from films like Sang Chi, Raya and the Last Dragon, and now Turning Red, which I just saw over the last weekend, There appears to be progress in having more nuanced AAPI representation. And yet some cultural gatekeepers refuse to recognize the the universality in our stories, as we saw recently with that particular film critic. Um, Is this progress?
1: Well, certainly having our stories represented somewhere. I'll tell you how I felt. I watched Turning Red and I nearly cheered up in like the first scene. (laughs) <laughs> when she was talking about her relationship with her mother and I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to be represented. I felt my story so, and you know, it's, um, I'm Vietnamese, the character um, and her family aren't Vietnamese, but I still felt that solidarity. Um, and to that critic who said that turning red is not a universal film. Well, welcome to how All of us have felt looking at the majority of films that had no character that looked remotely even like us
0: even my nine-year-old son a boy who is not going through puberty yet got got the film so kudos to them um back to our personal lives Uh, we first met six years ago in your washington apartment during our first interview about rise when you were working on the civil rights of sexual assault survivors. Could you walk us through how your work with RISE has changed since 2016?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You were a civil rights nonprofit. And there's a long tradition of, you know, people taking their painful living truths and channeling that into justice. And so, you know, I, I'm really grateful to the incredible team at RISE for um, working on these things. and. Um, just as we worked on sexual violence rights, we work on API civil rights now, um, as well as other things as, you know, we we train activists to pass their own laws. Um, And uh, a large part of our work is in helping people understand their place in our democracy, which is after all for them. Um, You know, I want to start off by saying that there's, no liberation um, that can be thought of truly authentically without involving intersectional lenses again of both gender and race. Um, in the latest uh, API hate crime, we saw that the perpetrator hit push, um, you know, smash this Asian woman's uh, body 125 times while calling her an Asian B word. Um, and you know, when these things happen, for instance, today, the Atlanta shooting, um, we didn't need the perpetrator to tell us that it was both racism and sexism. We knew we, the community knew, um, and even if the police don't say that it is both racism and sexism, we know.
0: We certainly do. You began your activism as a undergraduate at Harvard. What shaped your sense of justice at that early age?
1: Oh gosh, um, <laughs> well, pathological optimism, but also, you know, my parents, as you mentioned, are refugees from Vietnam, and my mother went into death to seek life. And I was taught from a very early age that freedom isn't free, and that. Um, you know, they came here for this American dream, this promise of a country that upholds equality under the law. And so if she went through all of that, you know, um, braving the ocean, um, then I can use the rights that I was born with by being an American to love my country, which is to push it to that more ever perfect union.
0: So your parents were not the, keep your head down, just keep doing your work, stay quiet and in well, that quiet way. You know. I, it.
1: <laughs> they, um, I think there is a generational divide about this. We're definitely seeing it now. Um, and on one hand, you have an um, older generation um, whose values um, and advice are, I think, rooted in survival. You know, um, and now we're seeing younger activists, younger Asian-Americans saying, you know what, Um, is it really surviving if we have to swallow all of this pain? And they're standing up and they're saying, we can create the world that we want to live in. Um, So I think that the younger generation in a way is showing that we can own the light that we are in. We can be authentic in our truth Um, and in a way i think it is healing the generation divide
0: right you played a key role in getting the sexual assault survivors rights act signed into law how are you trying to elevate this issue globally
1: yeah well i'm here in new york right now and um there are 1.3 billion rape survivors in the world um The United Nations General Assembly has never recognized rape in peacetime in a resolution uh, in its own form. And uh, that's what we're fighting for. You know, after President Obama signed my law in 2016, we heard from over a million people who said, hey, this is happening to me, too. Um, And, you know, how can you know, how can I get involved? Um, How can we make this happen for the world? So we're pushing the United Nations right now in moments of crisis, especially, let's talk about like Ukraine and Russia. Uh, We know that the spike of sexual violence happens. Um, It happened during the pandemic. Um, And uh, the most vulnerable amongst us are the ones that have the solutions because we live the problem every day. And so world leaders need to listen. You know, there are very similar parallels between the fight for gender based violence and the fight of anti Asian racism, right? People are responding in this moment of time saying, My story matters, um, and we're not going to stay silent anymore.
0: How has the fetishization of Asian American women and the sex- sexual object- objectification of Asian American women contributed to what's happening now in our community? To our community. It's direct is
1: a direct causation, right? So yellow fever, for instance, the stereotype that refers to when people uh, objectify Asian female bodies um, has directly caused uh, the violence that we are seeing towards Asian women. I mean, today, the Atlantis Spa Massacre is an example of that. The murderer said that he was trying to get rid of a sexual addiction and again even if he didn't say that it was because of racism he killed six of us um so for our asian sisters we know and um we aren't going to put up with it anymore um but This intersection is something that we have been, I feel like, screaming into the void about and people are finally picking it up, right? And they're picking it up because we have these horrific stories of how we are getting murdered. It shouldn't take that. Um, And for folks who are listening in, you know, I know that it can feel so terrible right now, but I want you to know that there's always a way to move forward that our voices do matter. And that's both for the API community and for allies. we can't do this work alone. Um, But the good news is that we can shape the world to be how we want it. Um, And that's what we're doing today, gathering and shaping, shaping the world.
0: So what's your message to young Asian Americans to get their voices heard? Yeah. First of all, I know
1: that it is a scary time, Um, I know what it feels like to be afraid, Um, but I also know what it feels like to have fire in my belly and to roar, to scream from my soul and have the world hear it. So I'm here to tell you that if you need to say something, you can say it and the world will listen. And in fact, it is so important that you say it, because what you have to say really matters. Your life, your voice, your story, all of it does. Hope is contagious. When you put your authentic truth out there, people will listen. It will resonate. No one is powerless when we come together and no one is invisible. when we demand to be seen.
0: So demand to be seen. Love that, that's so well said. said. You've also said joy is the most radical form of rebellion. How can that joy you are referring to be better celebrated and covered? Yeah, well, um,
1: yes, I do think that joy is the most radical form of rebellion. You know, we are living in a world that uh, can often feel like isn't meant for us. And so just be yourself. What greater radical act is there than that, um, to be free? I think that's the ultimate goal I want: um, free to walk down the street, uh, free from fear, free from having to look over my shoulder at night, um, free from having to stand in a subway and think about, uh, well, "Am I too close?" Um, and I. I just want people to know that who you are is enough. Um, So celebrate yourself and be proud to be unabashedly Asian, very
0: Asian. Very Asian. Absolutely. Lastly, you have an incredibly interesting background, aside from all of your work as an activist you're an astronaut in training. I remember being in your apartment and seeing all these meteorites and space posters and rocket ships. And I was just wondering (laughs) if you could close this out with a little bit of perspective that space gives. What what does space give you?
1: Well, thank you for talking about the joy in my life. Um, Oh gosh, when astronauts go into space for the first time, many of them experience what's called the overview effect. So um, it's essentially an existential crisis, but uh, they see everything that's ever lived or died on this pale blue dot. It's like an orbital perspective shift. And many of them leave Earth as technical people but return to Earth as humanitarians profoundly moved to try to change the world for the better. I think that during the hard times, um, this brings me solace. Right, When we look up to the sky and we see all those lights, um, that's, that photon has traveled millions of years to reach your eye and um we are but a speck of dust a blink of an eye in the universe and yet we are able to be cognizant to feel um to to love and uh to fight for what we believe in so i'm going to use my time here to uh to fight for what i believe in and to go to space because that's what brings me joy
0: that is so beautiful amanda I am so pleased to have spoken with you today and reconnected in this way. Thank you for all of your thoughts and for joining us today. That's all the time we have for.
1: Thank you. I'm sending you all the love today.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.